So John chapter 13, 1 to 17 on page 763. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured the water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, A person who has, who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do know them. Uh, friends, let's just bow in prayer before we uh, come to consider God's word. Father, we want to thank you for revealing yourself to us through the scriptures. And we pray for ourselves now that uh, we would uh, have open minds and teachable hearts. Uh, we pray for the children uh, in Sunday school as they are being taught now at an age-appropriate level for them, that uh, you would be uh, opening them up to the truth of your word as well. Uh, we pray that we would be responsive to your word and uh, that it wouldn't just go in one ear and out the other, but uh, rather we would really be depending on your Holy Spirit to uh, teach us how we need to change in our thinking and our behaviour uh, to uh, be in accordance with your word. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good food, great service, excellent coffee. Uh, you'll always get the excellent coffee at uh, Cameron's house, I can assure you of that. He's a good coffee maker. But uh, that's actually the motto of a local coffee shop. And it sounds very tempting, doesn't it? Uh, do you like good food? Do you like excellent coffee? I like those things. 
But uh, we need more, don't we? Uh, food and coffee by themselves aren't uh, sufficient. What we need is good service, great service. Uh, we like to feel like we're being served. Uh, we like to feel special. Uh, in fact, it seems to me that we Aussies have come to expect to be well served, not just in coffee shops, but in many aspects of life. Uh, think about uh, the range of products and services that are available to us. Uh, we can search the world for the products that we need simply by clicking a button on our computer mouse, can't we? Um, I've just uh, recently discovered that it's actually much cheaper and it's uh, almost as fast to buy the books that uh, I want to buy from a, a bookshop in the United Kingdom than from buying them in Sydney. Uh, just by clicking the, a button on my mouse. Uh, we've come to expect uh, to get what we want, when we want it, and how we want it. Uh, we live in a, in, a, in a time of great service. But I want to ask us the question, have we become too accustomed to being served, to having our needs met? What about in the Christian life? A couple of years ago, Cassie and the kids and myself were driving to a church in Sydney, uh, Cornerstone Presbyterian Church, great church by the way. And uh, as we were driving there, we passed by a few other churches and there was a sign outside one of the churches, a big, uh, bold sign, and it said, good music, good preaching, great God. Now I know that uh, that, that uh, we can at least know that the last statement is true, but I've got to be honest with you, it sounded a bit like the coffee shop. Uh, it made me think that, you know, even in the Christian life, it's about being served. I saw a crass example of this a couple of weeks back. I was uh, searching for a uh, church website and I got onto the wrong church website. It was a church in the United States, a large church, and they were um, launching a new church service, they were trying to attract people to come along to it uh, by offering lucky door prizes. I'm not kidding you. It was come to church and be uh, in the running to win one of two brand new plasma televisions. Uh, what do you reckon, guys? You reckon we should have a go at that ourselves? Did that attract numbers? Uh, I mentioned this in the 9 o'clock service, the treasurer came up to me afterwards and said, if you start offering free TVs, I'm resigning from treasurer, from the treasurer's job. <laughs> okay. Um, friends, this morning I want to look at this issue of service. Now, uh, why this particular topic? Well, because we are today resuming our series of sermons on John's Gospel. Last year we started uh, John's Gospel, in, we uh, looked at it in, the, in two um, uh, in, in, in two blocks uh, in uh, the beginning of the year and then in September and October and uh, we got as far as chapter 12. Uh, what I'm hoping to do is to finish John's Gospel before Easter or even at Easter. Wouldn't that be great if we can be dealing with the death of Jesus and the resurrection on Good Friday and Easter Sunday. But if you think back to last year uh, you may just recall that by the time we got to chapter 12, that what we'd seen was that there was a, a growing and an intense opposition to Jesus. 
uh, particularly from the, the religious elite, uh, from men who actually loved to be served. What we see in chapter 13 is Jesus takes our world's view of service and he tips it upside down, turns it on its head. Uh, have a look with me at uh, chapter 13, verse 1. If you open up your Bibles at page 763. Also, don't forget there's an outline of the talk in your uh, bulletins. But chapter 13, verse 1, this is where we kick off. It says, It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. His time had come. Uh, you might remember back in John chapter 2, when uh, remember the, the wedding in, in Cana of Galilee? And uh, they ran out of wine, and his mum uh, spoke to Jesus and said, look, you know, can you do something about this? And how did Jesus respond to it? He said, why do you ask me to do this, woman? Uh, my time has not yet come. Because he knew if he did a miracle which it did do, that it would start to arouse attention and eventually opposition. Uh, my time has not yet come. But here we see in chapter 13, verse 1, that his time has indeed now come. Uh, this is the end game. This is the point to which Jesus' life has been heading. And it was the time of the Passover. Uh, the Jews celebrated several religious feasts every year, but Passover was the big one. Hundreds of thousands, even millions of people would converge on Jerusalem for this feast. Now, there's a lot of preparation that you need to do before you have a family feast. We've just sort of gotten over the hump of Christmas and... Uh, uh, particularly the ladies will know everything that they had to do in order to prepare for the Christmas meal. Uh, Chinese people have just finished celebrating the Chinese New Year and there's a lot of preparation involved in that. There was preparation involved in the Passover. Uh, the disciples had done the preparation. First of all, they had organised a dining room. It was an upper room in somebody's house in Jerusalem. And you can imagine that rooms for eating the Passover were at a premium. They'd organised the room. They'd been to the market. They had purchased the bread, uh, the wine, the bitter herbs, uh, a special dip. And they'd also gone and purchased a live uh, bleating, buying lamb who at a, at a certain time that afternoon they'd taken to the temple and the, one of the priests at the temple uh, had sacrificed that lamb on the altar. That was a preparation. And now the meal was about to begin. In verse 2, the meal was being served. Now, when you and I uh, sit down for a special meal, we tend to sit on chairs, we sit at a table... And, uh, you know, my mum used to always say to me, Scott, back up straight, uh, elbows off the table, um, don't talk with your mouth full. Is that right, mum? 
She still says that. She still says that. Well, I've got to tell you, the Jews were far more relaxed um, than, than, than we are in our culture. They, they lay on lounges uh, whilst they ate. Uh, you see that in the passage. For example, if you look at verse 23, it, where it tells us that one of the disciples was reclining next to Jesus. You see that in verse 25, uh, Peter leaned back against Jesus. Literally, in the Greek, he leaned into, uh, into Jesus' uh, chest. Uh, it was a layback affair. But there's one other very important custom that uh, took place. And that was the custom of foot washing. Now, why was this important? Think about it. What was the mode of transport in those days? How did people get around? Well, some people, you know, on the back of a donkey, um, horseback. You know, what the most common form of transport was? Two feet. Uh, two feet clothed with sandals, not shoes, uh, but with sandals. Now, can you imagine just how dirty and dusty those roads were as people trekked in towards Jerusalem? Can you imagine how dirty they were at Passover time? You know, they reckon that there was 250,000 sheep that were brought into Jerusalem for that Passover. 250,000 sheep. Now, do I need to explain uh, what would have been all over the roads? We don't need to go there, do we? That's why foot washing was a very important part of hospitality. Whose job was it to wash people's feet? Well, uh, it was the job of the lowest ranking servant in the household. Uh, not even disciples uh, were supposed to wash people's feet. Uh, not, disciples were not even supposed to wash the feet of their teacher. Uh, there was a rabbinical saying. It was actually, in its present form, it was written about 250 AD, but it, its origins were much earlier than that. Uh, listen to what this rabbinical saying says, and I quote, It says, Every service which a slave performs for his master shall a disciple do for his teacher, except the loosing of the sandal thong. A disciple should do, should do the work of a slave, except anything to do with the feet. It was a very lowly job. And you know what? We need to understand that. We need to feel it. Because the reality is that on this occasion that nobody had been arranged, no servant had been arranged to wash the feet of the disciples when they turned up at that upper room. Now that would have been awkward for them. Uh, they decided though to keep their mouths shut. Uh, they didn't want to say anything to the person who was hosting them there. Uh, they just got on with the meal. But in verse 4 something astonishing happened. Jesus pushed himself off his lounge. He walked over to the, uh, to the washstand. 
He wrapped a towel around his waist. He picked up the large basin of water and he headed for the nearest disciple. Now it's hard for us to imagine just how stunned the disciples would have been. I mean, sometimes, you know, at Easter time, sometimes you see on television, you know, footage of religious leaders in another part of the world um, in, a, in a religious ceremony dressed in their robes and all of that sort of thing. And there's a bunch of people there, usually bishops and a few things, and they wash their feet. Have you seen that? You know, it's a very ceremonial, very clinical kind of thing. And we expect it, but friends, there was nothing ceremonial, there was nothing clinical, there was nothing expected uh, at this event. The, the disciples were absolutely speechless, except, of course, one disciple. Who would that have been? Peter. Good old Peter. You've got to hand it to Peter, uh, don't you? I mean, any time he doesn't know what to say, what does he do? He says something. And uh, you see that in verse 6. Have a look at verse 6. Jesus came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Or verse 8. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Uh, Now, in a sense, you know, Peter's wrong to be challenging Jesus like that, but in another sense, Peter had it right, didn't he? I mean, Jesus was the teacher. I mean, a disciple would not even wash uh, the feet of his teacher. How much more inappropriate is it for the teacher to wash the feet of the disciple? It was inappropriate in their culture. This was an act of greatest humility, even humiliation. But there is more to it. Uh, We see in verse 3. In verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And so that's why he got up from the meal and took off his clothing and wrapped a towel and washed feet. Jesus washed feet because he knew that he was actually much more than a teacher. He knew that he had come from God the Father in heaven itself. That is where he had spent all of eternity past. Jesus knew that he was about to return to God the Father in heaven, that that was his future. And more than that, Jesus knew that God the Father had given Jesus authority and power over all of creation. Now, we've seen that in John's Gospel, haven't we? We've seen how it is that Jesus was able to heal the sick that he was able to raise the dead, that he was able to calm a storm, that he was able to drive out spirits. And he asks the question, who is this man? And the answer is that he is the one who is God in the flesh. He's not just a teacher. He is God the Son. Uh, we see it in Philippians chapter 2, where Paul says that... Uh, Though he was in very nature God, that he humbled himself and became a servant. But not just any servant. The lowest of servants, the servant who wiped manure off the feet of those who he led. 
So why did he do this? Well, friends, in the passage, there are two reasons that Jesus washed their feet. Now, first of all, this was a very special Passover because it was to be his last Passover. Um, Why did the Jews celebrate Passover? Well, they celebrated Passover in order to remember a very significant event in their history. They celebrated Passover in order to remember that they were once slaves in Egypt and that God had been their saviour, that he had rescued them. How did he rescue them? Do you remember? Uh, Pharaoh would not let the uh, Israelites go and the judging spirit of God swept over the land of Egypt on one night and brought punishment to every household except any household whose door doorposts had been smeared with the blood of a lamb. Those households, the Spirit of God passed over. And because of the judgment that took place on Egypt, Pharaoh allowed the Israelites to go. But that lamb that was slain was a sacrificial lamb. You see, in our natural state, uh, we are all slaves who need to be rescued. We may not be slaves in Egypt, but we are slaves to sin. Uh, no matter how good we are, uh, we, there's not one of us who always gives God his rightful position in our lives. Uh, we tend to live our way, uh, not God's way. And that's why there are so many problems in relationships. Uh, that's why our world is not the way that it should be. Uh, I was speaking to a man at a party last night, a, a Buddhist man, and he was uh, uh, firing lots of questions at me to uh, try to challenge my Christian faith. And uh, uh, one of the issues he raised with me was that uh, if my God is real, if he really exists, then and he, if he loves people, then why is there so much suffering and so much conflict in our world? Why are people in other places fighting each other? Why aren't our home lives as good as they could be uh, if God is really God really exists? And of course, there's no inconsistency there with the Christian faith because when we read the Bible, the Bible tells us that that is what we ought to expect. Uh, life to be like, uh, that it is because that we uh, as the human race have turned our back on God and we want to live our, way, our lives our way, not God's way. We might pay lip service to God and say we believe he exists, but we don't allow him to rule our lives. And because of that, uh, the world is not the way it should be. And in fact, God has a plan to, uh, on the one day, to bring an end to the world as it is and to establish his new kingdom, uh, the new heavens and the new earth. But it also means that we are offside with God and that because we've 
turned our back on God that a penalty, a judgment, must be paid. And so at Passover, each family would bring a a lamb. Uh, They would have the lamb slaughtered at the altar and this was supposed to pay the penalty for their sin. God had commanded them to do this. Now, at this particular Passover, uh, they estimate that, uh, that a quarter of a million sheep were slaughtered. And the slaughtering of the, of the sheep took place within a very, very short period of time for the Passover. Now, imagine that scene. quarter of a million sheep being slaughtered and drained of their blood. Uh, an enormous amount of blood uh, poured out from, from the altar and eventually found itself into, uh, in, a, in a little river that runs along the eastern side of the temple called the Kidron. For three or four days, the colour of the Kidron was deep crimson. It was blood. And yet, friends, all of that blood, all of the blood of a quarter of a million sheep has had no power, has no power to wash away even one sin from one human being. Not one lie, uh, not one moment of greed or hatred or gossip or lust, not one moment of us putting ourselves before God can be washed away by all of that blood. The only way that the guilt of anyone's sin can be washed clean away is by the blood of a sacrifice that is profoundly greater, not only of any sheep, but profoundly greater than any one of us. It it is only the sacrifice of the blood of God the Son that is perfect and has the power to wash away sin. And so in verse 8, if you look back at the passage, Peter objected that Jesus should wash his feet, but Jesus replied, saying, Peter, unless I wash you, you will have no part with me. And friends, it's true of us that unless we are washed by Jesus our guilt remains and we will have no part in his heavenly future. But that uh, bucket of water, that towel, they were just a pointer. They were a pointer to the thing which was going to happen the next day when Jesus allowed himself to become the sacrificial lamb and shed his blood by dying on a cross. But there is another reason Jesus washed those feet. Come with me back to the passage, verse 14. In verse 14 to 17, Jesus says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. 
Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Uh, You know, on this same night, uh, Luke in his gospel in uh, Luke chapter 22 records for us that there was a a little bit of a... um, uh, a dispute that broke out between the disciples. You know what they were arguing over? They were over, arguing over the question of which one of them was the greatest. How about that, eh? Uh, there they are. They're, they're, they're serving God, but it seems that their service of God was uh, not quite right, was it? Uh, they were wanting to serve God, but in actual fact, they kind of liked the idea of being served themselves, being the centre of attention and authority. And they, were, they argued over which one of them was the greatest. Now, their, their motivations were mixed then, weren't they? And I think that this can be a danger for us because uh, it is possible to do the activities of serving God but to do so for the wrong reasons. Uh, for example, uh, we, we might like to, to lead. We might like to be people who are up front uh, so that others might think well of us. Uh, I know, and uh, it's, it, it's true to say that I have... Um, discovered this in my own heart from time to time, uh, this desire to be, f- to be felt and to be thought more highly of uh, and to be in an upfront position uh, in order to uh, gratify that particular uh, need. And so this is an issue and we do need to be praying for people who are in upfront roles and in leadership. Uh, Or we might wish to hold position because we have this kind of a need for the authority that position brings. Uh, Or we might even use serving God as a means of our self-satisfaction. Now, don't get me wrong. Um, uh, Of course, it is right for people to lead. Uh, and there is rightful authority in the church, and serving God can be greatly satisfying, uh, incredibly so. But these are not the reasons why we serve. Uh, You see, think about it, there's not much status, there's not much authority, there's not much satisfaction in washing manure off people's feet, or for that matter, being nailed to a cross. In verse 15, Jesus washed feet as an example to us of service. Uh, There's an ad on TV at the moment. Uh, You might have seen it. It's advertising a new television station and they have a number of people uh, whose faces are shown and the slogan which they all repeat is the slogan, more for... more for me. More for me. More for me, more for me. It's the spirit of our age, isn't it? Uh, We love to be served. We love to be at the centre of attention. We love people to respect us. We we expect to be served. But friends, since Jesus washed disciples' feet and since Jesus died for us, 
we need to purge that kind of thinking out of our own lives and out of our church. Instead, we should be willing to serve others as we sacrifice of our time, as we sacrifice our resources, as we sacrifice our very lives for the sake of the gospel. Because it's not about us and our self-gratification. It is about getting involved. It is about making big sacrifices. It is about becoming a servant so that others can hear about how they can have their sins washed away, that they too can have a part with Jesus in his heavenly future. Now, the disciples were shocked that night when Jesus picked up the towel and the wash basin. Uh, Next week, as we continue to look at the passage, we ourselves may be shocked as we learn more of a betrayal that took place on that night. But can I get you to think about just, just two things from this week's passage? First of all, are you a person whose sins has been washed clean by Jesus? Uh, have you trusted that uh, Jesus by his death has done that for you? Friends, if not, then uh, this really is an important matter that you need to get sorted out. Uh, it's not something to delay over. And uh, if you'd like to talk to someone about it, talk to myself or Peter or someone else in the church because this is of the utmost importance. But if you are a person who's been washed by Jesus, then my question to you today is this, are you living as a servant? Uh, Are you uh, willing to put aside your own interests in order to be involved and to serve others with the gospel. Uh, Would it be good, even at the start of this year, to to think and to pray about how you can become more involved uh, in the work of sacrificially serving for the sake of others? There's a couple of challenges for you, and uh, look forward next week to finding out more about the betrayal that took place on that night. But can we uh, now just bow in prayer? Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he came as the servant king. We thank you, Father God, that he humbled himself and became a a servant, uh, that he was willing to do uh, even the lowest uh, task that there was. But more than that, Father, that that was a pointer to what he would do when he sacrificed his own life uh, for us on the cross. We pray, Father God, that you would purge our minds and our hearts of the spirit of this world, uh, that spirit that says that it is all about me. Uh, We pray, Father, that following from the example of Jesus and as as a thankful expression of our love for him, that we would be willing to freely abandon our own rights and privileges 
and to become involved in, in, in serving others, uh, particularly serving others so that they might come to know more of the Saviour Jesus. We pray that you'd help us to search our hearts, Lord God, uh, and to have right motivations in serving. We ask all of these things now in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.